0: Yeah.
1: Well, good morning, church. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. And you know what we like to do when I get up here. Come on. Can we give a clap for Jesus this morning? The reason we're here. Man, not only am I excited about church this morning, but I'm excited about this fall weather. Come on. Let me see how many hands. Who loves fall in this place? I think it is the best time of the year because then I get to wear layers and denim jackets are back. So... Man, so excited to be with you this morning. Listen, if you're new here at Victory Life Church, we're so happy you're here. We want to welcome you. And if you are new here, would you please uh, go to our page, our our website at vlchurch.com. You'll see a new here tab. And we'd love for you to just fill out some information so we can get connected with you here at Victory Life Church. Uh, Another way that you can get connected here at the church, if you are a lady, is we are having Women's Craft Night on Monday nights at 7 p.m. If you love to get creative or crafty, you can come uh, to those nights. Uh, You can just show up. You don't need to sign up, but there will be someone out in the foyer that you can talk to and get connected and get a little more information about that. Also, if you are considering baptism, we've been talking about how baptism is coming up on November 7th. If you'd like to get uh, make, you know, more information about that, we'd love to connect with you. But if this is something you're contemplating, taking that next step in your faith journey, we'd love to talk to you about that. And uh, you can go on our website and sign up and get registered there, but man, we just, we're really excited about baptism, and if you do sign up and get registered, we'll uh, get you some more information as far as a baptism class that we're going to have the week beforehand, and so we'll make sure you uh, got the goods, know everything that's going on. Well, hey, have you showed up here uh, ready to give? through tithes and offerings. Um, You know, there's a few ways that you can do that. You can do it through online at our website, or you can do it through text, or the old-fashioned way here in person. You can give it on your way out uh, with the ushers who will be ready uh, when you walk out uh, this morning. So, well, hey, we're gonna worship this morning. uh, So would you stand with me to your feet and get ready to just posture our hearts towards Jesus and lift his name this morning. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. Lord, we, we praise you because you deserve it, because your name is great. Lord, we want to remember what you've done in our lives and worship you for it. And We want to worship you because you deserve it. Lord, we lift your name. We love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>
0: know him. Every heartbeat wants to know you. Now I live to make you known. I want to show the world you are the Every day I live to praise. Every day I bless your name. Every day I radiate your love. Every day I live to praise. Every day I live to praise. Every day I bless your name. Every day I radiate your love. Your love. shut it out. I will sing for you your praises every day I live. Every day I live till the world is your story. Shout out your glory. Come on. Every day I live. Oh, every day, day I will sing for you glory. And shout out your praises every day I live. Every day I live till the world hears your story. And shout out your glory. Every day I live. Every day I live for you. This is the day
2: that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. All these phrases come directly from the psalm. It's about extolling the Lord, giving praise to the Lord, giving honor to the Lord. And that's exactly what that last song did when we declare and tell him every heartbeat wants to know you. All my days I'm living in your praise. That's what we're doing this morning is giving praise to a God who's worthy. So let's continue to thank him because he's the only one who can satisfy. Let's worship him together this morning.
0: Mm Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. You came along, you put me back together. Desire is now satisfied here in Your love. Let's sing this together. I know it's true And I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me friend Yes, he does The God of the Is the God of the valley? There's not a place, there's not a place. Your mercy and grace, thank you, won't find me again. You believe it? Oh, there's not. Nothing is better than You. Come on, now let's worship. In. You turn my morning to dancing. You turn morning to dancing.
2: a God who is great he can spring new life he can turn graves into gardens overflowing with life he can take dry bones and create armies he can take a massive sea and create a highway right in the middle of it we have a great God who spun this universe into being but also you and I into creation He's incredibly huge in what he can do and what he has done. Yet he's so incredibly personal in the greatness of what he's done for us. It's amazing to have such a great God who would allow his son to step out of heaven and bear the sorrow, the hurt, and the pain of the world on himself. We serve a great God this morning. So let's worship that great God and not hold anything back. He is worthy.
1: so thankful this morning for all that you've done for the greatest sacrifice that way we could have access to you Jesus to have a relationship with you no matter where we've been what we've done Lord, you, you want us, and you love us more than we can ever even begin to imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus a clap this morning? Do you think he could use a clap this morning? I do. We're going to go into a time of communion. You probably received your, uh, your juice and wafer at the beginning uh, when you walked in. So if you take those, those out. If you're a, a believer in Jesus, feel free to, to partake with us if you're comfortable. We invite you to join us in this act of worship and remembrance. And as you begin to prepare your cups, I just want to give a a brief explanation of why we're doing this. Why do we remember what Jesus did? So the wafer and the cup of juice, these are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus, which is God's standard. For example, in the Old Testament, According to the sacrificial provisions in the Old Testament, it was taught to the Israelites that in order to approach God, you had to have blood of a worthy substitute. And so if God's people wanted to be forgiven of their sins, they would have to look to their livestock and select their very best animal and then sacrifice that which is most valuable to them. You see, the purpose of this was two things. It was twofold. It's to pay for the sin and wrongdoing, and also to illustrate how serious God is about dealing with our human sin. But it's one life to be given to redeem another from the stronghold of sin. You see, these elements represent Jesus' body and his blood. And when Jesus died on the cross, that was final. You see, the old passed away and God accepted Jesus as a perfect sacrifice for you, me, and all of humanity. We no longer need to bear the weight of our own sin because he took it upon himself. He did that for us. That way, our sins would be forgiven and we could come into relationship with him. Friend, that's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves each and every one of us and how personal he is to come down in human form and to lay himself down so we could be in relationship with him. You see, it says in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy You see, if you embrace Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice and surrender your life to Him, God sees you and sees perfection. But it's not by our doing, it's all Him. And so, as you take the wafer, before Jesus went to the cross, He paused for a moment with His disciples and He gave attention to these symbols of His perfect sacrifice. And as they were having their last meal together, the Bible says, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Can we take the wafer together? And after they broke bread, Jesus and his disciples, it says in the Bible, Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood, this juice representing his blood, is the new covenant, which is an agreement between God and humanity, and he's made things perfect between us and him through his blood. Can we take the juice together? Lord Jesus, we do this in remembrance of what you've done. Lord, we're so thankful that we get to be here to praise you, Jesus. Lord, to remember where we were and where we can now be in your presence, God. And to lean into your love, Jesus, and lean into you and to surrender our lives to you, God. We love you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
3: Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for bringing those beautiful words to us this morning in communion. I was thinking as you said those words that God required what was best out of their flock, you know, to pay that penalty for human sin, how God reversed that on all of us. And he took the best out of heaven and made the sacrifice for each and every one of us. It's good to take communion today, and I'm glad our young disciples were able to participate with us. But for now, young disciples, you may be dismissed down the hall. For a message on your level, we will see you later. There will be a gaggle of children coming out of the South Sanctuary 30 minutes from now. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to backtrack with me in the book of Acts. If you've been with us these past number of weeks, we have been following the story of Saul, who became Paul. But today we're going to backtrack and follow another line of folks who pursued the presence of the Holy Spirit who connected people to the mission of the church, and who ultimately ignited God's church in a way that had never before been seen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 this morning and begin to follow some of the stories of the Apostle Peter and learn more about what God did in and through his ministry that we can glean from and take from today. I have to tell you, years ago, I took my first ever missions trip. It was a short-term missions trip. Uh, to Central America, and we were told that one of the best things that we could do at that time would be to create a live-action drama, which spoke to me because I'm a bit of a ham, and so we did have a live-action drama that we worked on for weeks and months in order to present the gospel in a way that would maybe present it to folks who had never been exposed to it before using uh, uh, illustrations and things visually that that would make sense to them. In the same way Jesus gave us bread and juice to remember his sacrifice, we were using some symbols through that drama. So we would meet down there in that South Sanctuary and we would practice our drama. And each time that we would meet before this missions trip and each time we'd get together talking about where our fundraising was at and so on and so forth, we would take time to pray. we pray that God would use us. We prayed that folks who had not yet been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ would hear it and respond to it. We prayed that God would make that trip a meaningful and powerful experience. Well, we got down to the Dominican Republic, and we got our first chance to share our drama with a crowd of people. In fact, it was at a hospital. It was a charitable hospital, and there were hundreds of people outside in the open air waiting to be seen by a doctor or a nurse for whatever ailed them. There's a great big courtyard, and we went and we presented our drama. We danced around, we moved around, and we presented the gospel. And after the drama was over, all of our team went and sat on a split rail fence to the back of this open-air pavilion. And the pastor got up there at the time, and he got up there with an interpreter and he shared what the drama meant and invited anybody to pray with him who were being led in their spirits towards the gospel towards Jesus. And after he was done praying, we were satisfied that it was time to go do some hot, sweaty work that you often do on a missions trip, and we'd done our job for the day. But shamefully and strikingly, our pastor turned around and looked at all of us teenagers sitting on that split rail fence and said, all right, go. And we thought, go where? And he said, I want you to go and pray with people who might be responding to the gospel and also pray over them that they might be healed. And I remember thinking, I will not do that. I came here to do a drama. I came here to sweat on this missions trip, but I did not come to try to break down the language barrier myself. And I remember having this moment of panic as he expected us to go out and minister to people and pray with people and ask them what they thought of the drama and if they'd like to give their lives to Jesus, you know, Christian stuff. I wasn't prepared to do Christian stuff. I was happy to do a drama but I remember as a few people who were bolder than I grabbed the first interpreters, those jerks, that that I better get moving quick with anybody else who had an ounce of Spanish or I was going to be in deep trouble. So I grabbed another gal who was about my age, and we were both in about third year Spanish, and, and we went and we began to pray for people. We began to talk with people. We began to see the power of the Holy Spirit displayed as the language barrier began to fall in ways that we could not have imagined. There were people who were deeply affected that day by what had been presented, people who had heard about Jesus but never been told what Jesus had done for them. They wanted to pray for us to receive him right there. There were people who were very happy to have people lay hands on their shoulders and their heads and pray for them that they might be healed. It ended up being a powerful, powerful day. I'll remember it for the rest of my life just for a simple reason, because God's given us opportunities over and over and over again to see things like that happen. But the problem for all of us is when we have these moments, when we're sitting on that split-rail fence, when the opportunity to present the gospel or to do things that are remarkably Christian stare us right in the face, we have to deal with that fight-or-flight mentality, don't we? That panic of, what about the barriers that exist between me and the person I'm about to share with? What, what, about, what about the things that stand between him or her and I that I, I don't know how to overcome What if I have opposition? What if someone standing in line at that charitable hospital looks at me and says, well, God obviously doesn't care about me or I wouldn't be here? What if, what if, what if? I don't know what drove me off the rail fence that day. Not every person got off the rail fence, but I'm glad that I did. Because at some point after the fact, I realized, you know, all those days that we prayed in that South Sanctuary, we were praying for these moments. All those days we were preparing, asking the Holy Spirit to use us, we were getting prepared for such a time as that. And I want to tell you today, we as a church, we are getting prepared. When we talk about pursue and connect and ignite, we're getting prepared for what God has for us to come. When we invite you to pray and we invite you to pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are doing so because we know that the world desperately needs Jesus, The world desperately needs this thing called Christianity. It is God's greatest gift, and it's our job to go and witness to what Christ has done in us, that others may know him. How do we get past this fight-or-flight syndrome? How do we always stay, not with our gloves up to fight, but our feet planted firm on the ground, ready to do that which God has called us to do? Well, I believe that we look for examples from the scriptures. We look at what the heroes of Scripture did and how they operated to learn how we can stand up for Jesus. And so today, through Acts chapter 4, I want to tell you a story of how Peter and John stood up for Jesus and what happened to them, and how it wasn't always easy, but how God's will was done. And perhaps today, as we look to their story, we'll see our story and some ways in which God can encourage us to stand our ground for the Lord Jesus Christ Something happens in Acts chapter 3 that's kind of remarkable. It's right after the events of Acts chapter 2 being filled with the Holy Spirit and the church growing from hundreds to thousands. Peter and John go up to the temple in Jerusalem, and as you know, if you've been here the last number of weeks, we've talked about that initial Jerusalem church, that group of thousands who was preparing to go out into the world at some point to share Jesus, but who were hanging out in Jerusalem for a time to learn what it meant to be Christian. And as was their custom, Peter and John went up to the temple in Acts chapter 3, and on their way through the gate beautiful, they saw a man who was crippled, someone who had sat there for a long, long time. The man asked them for money, and they said, we don't have any, but what we have we'll give to you. They said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man stood and accompanied them into the temple courts, and because everybody knew about the crippled man from the gate beautiful, a crowd gathered And they were able to teach and preach about the power that was in Jesus' name because that crippled man was now walking. But that puts them in the crosshairs of the very people who had killed Jesus, the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders of Israel who convened in and around the temple courts. Peter and John were arrested. And we pick up their story in Acts chapter four, verse five, on the next morning after their arrest. Look at verse five with me. On the next day... The rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. There was Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had brought Peter and John and set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or in what name did you do this? Now, I want to stop you right there for just a moment. That's a real and legitimate question, and it is historically, because there are ancient writings that come from within 60 years of this period where some of the people who were opposed to Jesus did not deny that he was a miracle worker. They merely said that Jesus did his miracles by power of demonic forces. See, that was, that was what was said of Jesus from the earliest days, that Jesus didn't actually work for God. We see a little bit of that in our Gospels, but we have other historical writings from some anti-Jesus folks who said, well, yeah, he did miracles, but it was by a demon. They have to assume that this was demonic power, and they have to do that because they have a predisposition not to believe in Jesus, that makes sense? Let's look at verse 8. Then, Jesus, or then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're going to be examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So Peter's quoting scripture that that is intended to bring them closer to a concept of who Jesus is. There is salvation and no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the inhabitants in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. Now, that's not the end of the story. We're going to keep reading in just a moment. But I I just want you to notice what's taking place here. This is a powerful, powerful, scary, scary moment because Peter and John are standing in the very courtroom where Jesus was condemned to die by the very people who had the power through the Roman government to bring about his death that's who they're standing with this is a moment of for anybody who is normal of pure terror but Peter and John don't succumb to that terror Peter and John aren't overwhelmed by the moment in fact, it says in verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did Peter do? He shared the gospel using scripture. He was killed. He rose again. The Bible said that he'd be rejected by the builders, but he is the cornerstone of God's salvation. What you want me to do? Right? He stands right up and declares the truth of who Jesus is in the face of opposition How did he get to this point? Well, he pursued the Holy Spirit. In fact, we know that Jesus was planning this day. Jesus knew this was gonna happen. It says back in Acts chapter one, verses six through eight, that the disciples needed to get their marching orders. And Jesus said to them, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you that you might receive power. And when you receive that power, you will be my witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you've ever taken the workshop, the Tell the Story workshop here at Victory Life, you know that we talk about the fact that the disciples had the greatest training in the world. They had spent three years with Jesus. They had been taught by him what to say, what to do, and how to do it. And Jesus says, don't start telling people about me until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, full of the Holy Spirit, they're not telling their cousin. They're not telling their neighbor They are telling the very people who killed Jesus, and they're doing a pretty good job with it. They're astonished that they're uneducated, common people, speaking with such power and eloquence about what Jesus had done. But Jesus had promised them this day would come. He said that it would be like this, but they were ready for it, because their pursuit of the Holy Spirit led them to declaration. It says Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. His pursuit of God's presence had put him in a position that when the going got tough, when fight or flight could have been, he was ready to stand his ground. He wasn't ready to shrink back. He was ready to share who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. This is incredible. I don't know what I might have said to the council if I had been standing there. Yes, I've had biblical training. Yes, I've gone to seminary but if I was put in this very same position, I don't know that I might not have said, sorry for healing him. Okay. Sorry. That's not what they do. Their pursuit of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life led them to declare that which they knew. But I don't want you to miss something. There's something going on in their story. There's something that the disciples have in their back pocket they have the healed man standing next to them. They had something important. They had a story to tell. And the story that they had to tell was backed up by somebody who had been changed by Jesus. Do you see it? You know, we as a church have begun to pray that God would continue what God loves to do, which is to to show himself and prove himself and move in the lives of people that he would change them and move them and do things that we couldn't ask or imagine and go, wow, God, you did that. Well, they had a wow, God, you did that standing with them that day. And I want to ask you, as you pursue the Holy Spirit, as you pray in your life groups, as you pray in your prayer groups, as you pray in your prayer closet, there's some Christianese for you, you're welcome, as you spend time with God, are you praying that God's power would make itself manifest in your life that when you get to these points of declaration, you've got something to witness to. You've got something to talk about beyond your folksy wisdom. That's what the apostles had that day. Is it so unbelievable that we could have it too? Is it crazy to think that God could do things in our midst that bring about a relevancy and a realness to the declaration of faith. Is it crazy to think that that could happen? Is it crazy to think that we could expect things of God and that he could move? I was speaking to someone quite recently who I would categorize maybe as a a not yet Christian. They were going through some things in their life. might have shared this with you all already, but that's okay. I repeat all of my stories all the time. For those of you who came up and Fulfilling the Mission FM with me, you've heard all of my stories 16 times. God bless you. But I was sharing with this a person who is not yet a Christian who's going through some really hard things in their life. And I, I, I looked at them and I said, you know what? The next time that doubt and fear and overwhelm hit you, I want you to call upon the name of the Lord and he'll show up. And I walked away from that person thinking, I hope that works. I really hope that works. And that person later reported, every single time the fear and the doubt and the overwhelm have come, God's shown up. God's shown up. So 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 I'm not trying to say, well, Pastor Matt spoke a word in faith, and wow, it happened. That's not the point. The point is, can we expect something of the Lord? Can we expect that He'll show up and prove Himself? if we will pursue the Holy Spirit and be ready to declare in the moments that God gives us. Look at verse 17. The Sanhedrin, the ruling council, if you will, of Israel, is not done with Peter and John. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. What are they saying? They're not allowed to say Jesus. Verse 18. So they called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we can only speak about what we've seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened." So this declaration that Peter and John had been involved in leads now to even greater confrontation. See, it's not just that they had declared Jesus and they didn't like it and that was the end of the matter. This declaration of Jesus is going to lead to greater confrontation. These were the rulers of Israel. These were the lawmakers. These were the bosses. And they're saying, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. And we're going to threaten you that we're going to get you if you do. That's what's going on here. Their declaration leads to great confrontation. They see Jesus as a threat. So they're going to flex their muscles and try to coerce John and Peter to silence. They're going to say, you can't do this any longer, or you are in deep trouble with us. We want you to know before you leave Peter and John that we can't get you today, but we are going to get you tomorrow. That's what's happening here. Now, most of the time, pastors end this part of the, of, the, of the teaching on John chapter four and go, isn't it great, they got released. No, they got released with threats hanging over them. So it's, it's great that they got released, but you know this same group of apostles are gonna be beaten the next time the Sanhedrin gets their hands on them. They're gonna be whipped and beaten for the name of Jesus. But they realize that if they pursue the Holy Spirit, the declaration will continue to come and continue to come and continue to come even as the threats and the confrontation continues to become in their lives over and over and over again. Jesus predicted that this would happen to his followers. Jesus said, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all types of evil about you because of me. That's what Jesus said would happen to his followers. Is that what you signed up for? Is that what I signed up for? I mean, that's what Jesus said would happen. That's what's taking place right in this moment. There's a fight or flight moment happening again. They stood in the first test to say, Jesus is who Jesus said he was, but now they have a second test. They're being threatened with future persecution if they speak the name of Jesus anymore. And the reality was the Sanhedrin did have power. They had enough power to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. Politically, they couldn't silence Peter and John that day, but they knew something powerful. They knew the crowds were fickle. They knew the public opinion would not be with the apostles forever. In fact, it says later on in the book of Acts, when Herod the Tetrarch kills James, the crowds loved it. So he persecuted the Christians all the more. Crowds are fickle. Society is fickle. They just had to wait for their right moment. Because they could persecute, and they had the power to persecute, and they were going to exercise that power. The declaration of Jesus is going to lead to confrontation in this world, and this is the problem for so many of us Christians right now at this moment. The declaration of Jesus did not lead to great confrontation for the last 250 years right here in America. There's people who might not have liked it. Maybe some people that said, shut up. Don't talk to me about that anymore. But the world has changed tremendously in the last 50 to 60 years. Now we're not at a point today where they were that day in Acts, come on. We're freely assembled here today. No one's telling me what to preach. No one's telling me what I can say and what I cannot say. But I wanna ask you a question. Do you feel allowed to talk about Jesus when you leave here? Is that acceptable? Is that okay in your school? Is it okay in your workplace? In your neighborhood? Is it socially acceptable to be a Christian any longer? Has your family threatened you to silence? Don't talk about Jesus anymore or I'll be done with you. I won't be there at Thanksgiving if you have to tell me about Jesus. Don't share your faith with me. It's condemning. It's intolerant. It's responsible for atrocities. I know I was there at the Crusades. A little bit of levity. There are those in power today who believe that Christianity has no right to spread. They believe that we do more harm than we do good. When I say that we're in a period of preparation as a church, I don't just mean as victory life. The church in America, in this country, has to prepare. We have to be in tune by pursuing the presence of God We're going to have to stay closer to the Lord than we ever have before because the 21st century is going to be different than any century on this continent before. And I don't want us to get into this place of fear or concern or worry. I am not a fear monger. But I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus wants us to be ready. He told us from the start it was going to be hard. But in the very world that is not for Jesus is the same world that is in need of him. And we must remember this. Peter and John don't put up their dupes and get into a punching match with the Sanhedrin that day. They just said, I don't know what you want us to do. We healed this guy. So should we be following the one who healed him or you? I don't know what to do. They don't look at the Sanhedrin and go, you guys are going to hell. They they don't put their dukes up. They're they're just being real. The Lord Jesus is above all this. You need him too. Any of you ever wondered how we know what the Sanhedrin said when Peter and John left? Did it strike any of you? How do we know what happened when they left? We've already read it in our study this month. Many priests and many Pharisees came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. The gospel worked. There were those who heard the gospel that day, that obviously were beginning to be changed towards the Savior of the world. They were in this moment of threatening and confrontation, and God used it anyhow. Don't, don't see this as the death knell of Christianity. And if you are in a place right now emotionally where you think the death knell of Christianity is happening in America, I want to tell you something with all love, you are sorely mistaken. Because the Spirit of the Lord is going to work through the church in America, like never before, we're gonna see many come to faith, and there will be a great juxtaposition. I'm not allowed to use juxtaposition. There will be a great difference between the church of Jesus Christ and a society that is running from Him with all their might. But that great difference is gonna be winsome in the days to come. People are gonna be after it, people are gonna want what we have. We're just trying to get ready, folks. We're going to need the presence of the Holy Spirit like never before because it is going to be harder than it ever has been before for us. And God's going to move. If he can move in pre-Christian society, he can move in post-Christian society. And the church will stand. And the gospel will move forward. We just can't hang our hat on the idea that, well, we were once a Christian nation. Yes, we were once closer to being a Christian nation. I'm more interested that Christians just do Christian things to make more Christians. Powerful things are going to happen, but are we ready? Are we ready to have the Holy Spirit's work in our back pocket when we go and share the gospel? Are we ready to be able to say, I've seen them changed, and I've seen them healed, and I saw God do this, and so I can't help but tell you about what God's doing you know, Jesus said in John, or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses to Judea and Samaria and to the other end of the earth. Do you know what the word witness means? A witness is somebody who simply shares their version of events. You don't have to be a theologian to share Jesus. You don't even necessarily have to know the Romans Road, the four spiritual laws. You don't have to have a copy of the bridge in your Bible. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and the rest of you are like, I have no idea what any of those things are. Long story short, you don't have to be an eloquent person to share Jesus. You just need to be authentic about what God has done and is doing in your life and the lives of the people around you. It's simple. That's all Peter and John were doing. They were just witnessing to what they had seen. Folks who pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit cannot help but declare, because the Holy Spirit's job is to lead people closer to Jesus. Let's look at what happens next. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and they said, Sovereign Lord, you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up against Against, I'm sorry, the, people, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and his Messiah. Anointed means Messiah, by the way. What does the church do with these threats? Do they go, ha, that's silly Sanhedrin. They'll never persecute us again. Oh, those guys, they're always threatening everybody. No big deal. We'll just, we'll just move out of Jerusalem and we're, we're going to retreat and we're not going to talk about Jesus anymore. Is that what the church does? No. The confrontation leads them to more pursuit. The confrontation leads them to prayer. They gather together and they go, yeah, we are being threatened. Yeah, this is no good. Yeah, this really stinks. Yeah, this is scary. They just made it law that we can't say Jesus. Could you imagine? We need to pray. Let's ask the Lord what to do. This is our entire mission. This is why the church exists, to point people to Jesus. So now we're not even allowed to speak his name. We better pray. They didn't go into strategy session. They didn't go into executive council. They came together, and they sought the Lord because they were reminded of how powerless they really were. And I want to tell you, folks, and I mean this, without the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through us, we are powerless. We are. We don't have any power to stand up to anybody. We have no power to to help people reach a point where they recognize that their sin has separated them from God. We have no power or ability to convince somebody that Jesus raised from the dead. We can't argue them into the faith. We don't have the power to stand up against that which is now against us societally, and maybe one day will be against us politically. We don't have any power to stand up to that. We're powerless. We're not gonna take up arms. We're not all moving to Texas with our shotguns. Come on, let's get real. We're gonna need to stay here in a society that thinks Jesus is no longer for them and tell them that Jesus is for you. We're gonna have to remain here in a place that causes us intolerance and bigots and jerks and judgmental and say we're not going to live that way so you're going to see something different in and through us we're going to have to be ready for the holy spirit to move us in conversations and good deeds that point people to Jesus and move them one step closer to a saving knowledge of him yes we are powerless but boy is he powerful We're not going to win people into Christendom. We're not going to win people into the the, the imperial leadership of the global church. It's gone. It's a bygone era. We in the post-Christian world look more like the pre-Christian world. And we have a blueprint for how to win people to Jesus in the post-Christian world. It's right here because we see how they won people to Jesus in the pre-Christian world. We Christians don't always do so great with power anyhow. Usually we operate a little bit better from the margins. We might be just where God has us, did you know? Maybe some things have taken place that are not outside of his control. Maybe he's in all of it, and we just need to seek him for what to do in the midst of it, because the world needs him. Let's look at the last three verses. 29, skip down to 29 with me. This was how the prayer ended and what happened. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant that your servants speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They looked at the threat. They recognized it was real. They embraced the fact that they were powerless. They they sought the one who was powerful. And their fresh pursuit of the presence of the Lord led them to more boldness to declare afresh and anew. Circular, isn't it? Holy Spirit comes, they declare Jesus. The world begins to turn on them, threaten them, coerce them to silence. They pursue the presence of the Lord. They are filled with boldness to declare. This will have to be our pattern over and over and over again till the day Jesus takes us home, church. We will have to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit because it is he that causes us to declare who Jesus is. This is, this is what Jesus taught in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, that the Holy Spirit is going to come into our lives to declare to the world who Jesus is through us. This is why he says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, don't start the mission until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, because you're going to be my witnesses, but you're going to need him. You're going to need him to declare. You're going to need to keenly feel the presence of God in your life. And this is the great divide, and I understand this, folks, I get it. I remember the time that I was Christian, that that, that I would have checked the box Christian on the census, but I did not yet know or feel the presence of the Lord myself. I know that's a great divide for many of us because we believe in the truths of Christianity, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, but we may or may not keenly feel the presence of God personally. I know that's real. And if you're sitting through these sermons over and over and over again on a weekly basis and you're hearing these stories about how the church was ignited through people who knew and understood the presence and the voice of the Lord, and you're saying to yourself, but I don't. I understand, I remember I wouldn't have doubted Jesus. I wouldn't have doubted the church. I wouldn't have doubted Christianity as the hope of the world. But there was a disconnect between that and where I was at. And I would say this to you today if you're in that camp. If you would say, Matt, I believe in Jesus. I believe Christianity is the hope of the world. I believe, but I don't know That I'm at the place where he's gonna do that through me, because I don't feel God the way some of you feel God. This is what I would tell you to do. When you pray, I'm assuming that you're going to. When you pray, begin to pray that you could talk about Jesus. You could talk about your faith, you could talk about your church. You could talk about how much it means to you and that that would lead someone closer to him. I'm not even going to tell you today, okay, that that you need to to hit your knees, that you need to wait for someone to lay hands on you, that that you need to do this or do that, because you might not be there right now. But if you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, if you believe that Christianity does not do harm but does good in the lives of people, if you believe in the gospel, then pray that God would make you a gospel carrier. And I do not doubt that you will begin to feel the presence of the Lord. Because he'll push you outside of yourself. And there'll be moments where someone knocks on your heart's door, and you will say, Oh, that's you. I've been waiting for you. I've been hearing about you. That's you. When I hopped off the split rail fence, it wasn't because I felt full of the Holy Spirit. I kind of did it because I felt like a jerk for not getting off the fence. But when I stepped out, I met the Holy Spirit there. So yes, there are some of you today who need to be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe that as a church. We believe that there's somehow some type of powerful thing that happens. When I say yes, I would humbly allow someone else to lay a hand on my shoulder and pray for me that I'd be filled with this Holy Spirit. We believe that. And if you're there today, we'll pray for you. But perhaps today, you just need to get to that point of getting off the rail. Saying simple things like, yes, I go to church. I, I, yeah, I think, I think Jesus is the hope for the world. I know you might have met some judgmental Christians, but boy, I wish you'd come to church with me sometime. That's not the way we roll. Watch the Holy Spirit meet you there. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, last week there were folks in this very service. They knelt on the ground, knees to the earth, said, Lord, I want a fresh calling. Lord, I, I want you to move and give me my next assignment. God, I pray first for them today. I pray, Lord, that they would feel you and know you and understand that you have more for them. But I pray they would remember today presence of the Holy Spirit in their life will cause them to declare their version of events. What the Lord Jesus has done in their life and what he can do in the lives of others. If you have a calling today apart from a declaration of who Jesus is, it's time to reevaluate that calling. But Maybe today you're here. You say, Pastor Matt, I, I'm, I I want it. I, I I want what you've been talking about. I, I I am open to the idea that God's presence could be more keenly felt in my life. And I'm open to the concept that He might speak something very simple to me this week where I can stand up and declare my version of events. And I might just meet God there. That's you today. It's going to be just a few of you. I understand this. But you'd say, Pastor Matt, I I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in his church. I do believe Christianity is the hope for the world. And I, I want to be bold enough to declare it. So I'd like the Holy Spirit to help me with that. If that's you today, just in an act of humility, would you just turn two palms towards heaven right in this moment? Say, God, that's me. I don't claim to understand all of this. I don't claim to be one of these spiritual Christians. But I do believe in Jesus. And I want to play my part in telling people about him. Turn two palms towards heaven right now. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we are all in a different place on our journey. Sometimes we seek your spirit and get our marching orders, as so many did last week. But sometimes, Lord, we just need to obey you in the moment of declaration, and we find your spirit there waiting for us. So, Lord, I pray for these brothers and sisters today, the ones who would say, Pastor Matt, I don't know that I feel all that spiritual. I don't know that I do keenly feel the presence of the Lord the way some others here do, but I do want the Lord Jesus to be seen through my life and I want to bring people closer to him. Holy Spirit, you can use that. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would descend right now into your humble servants. God, show them more of your face than they've ever seen before. Give them more of your presence than they've ever experienced. And Lord, when the time comes for fight or flight, Lord, I pray they would stand up for you. Because Holy Spirit, you're already there standing. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, would you stand today? A word to our prayer and life group leaders today. I would love this week, I would humbly ask this week that you see if anybody in your life group or your prayer group is here. Where they're on the other side of those threats needing to pursue. Needing to spend more time in the presence of God so they can declare afresh and anew. I want to tell you boldly, pray over them. Pray for them, pray with them, and send them out. Because a lot of us have, because of the pressures that we face, retreated. But we want to move forward for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Let's do in real time what we talk about on Sunday mornings. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into this place today. Thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that we've been reminded of just what a great sacrifice you made for us. I pray now that as we leave this place, no sacrifice would be too great. No moment of humility would be too hard for us in light of the one who shed his blood for each and every one of us. Send us from this place now with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.